It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Well, hi, and thanks again, Elevate uh, Crew, for allowing me to to speak again this morning. And thank you from my home here in Les Verde to your home. And to all those who have just dropped in, those ones who are playing the new Sunday morning sport of sermon surfing, um, I trust today that you might catch a wave because I'm believing that God wants to speak to us today and he wants to speak to our hearts. But, you know, it's exciting times here in WA. We're pretty excited because we're starting to see some of our restrictions um, are taken off us. And who knows, before long, the borders will be open if we're allowed the eastern states to actually travel to WA again. And that means that maybe we can get on an aeroplane. But for the claustrophobics around, aeroplanes can be the greatest nightmare. I mean, walking into a tube filled with three, four, five hundred people, shoulder to shoulder, knees touching the chair in front of you. And occasionally when they move back, you become the human sandwich of, between the two chairs. And then there's the toilets. I mean, I don't want to go there, but the toilets, they're like vertical coffins to me. Even thinking about aeroplanes starts to make me get anxious. You know, I, one day, well, it's actually a few years ago now, some friends and I went on a mission trip. And a mission trips are simply where you go away and you behave yourself for three weeks um, and you discover new things that God's doing across the world. And my two mates, we were sitting, um, we were in a country, and I can't tell you which country and I can't tell you what airline because uh, Elevate might get sued if I did. But we were in this country and we had to travel, not far, it's about an hour flight. We were about to board this particular plane and we were quite excited because we looked at our tickets and we had the exit road. Everybody like who's got long legs, exit road, fantastic. We were pretty excited. We get on the plane, but we did notice that there wasn't too many people on this plane. As we got to our seat, we sat down. As we sat down, we all, our eyes popped out our head just about as we realised that the whole seat moved back. And then it moved forward. In fact, we discovered that the bolts holding the seat down weren't done up that tight. Now we're starting to get a little bit concerned. We looked ahead of us and there um, where the tables, the fold-down table was supposed to be, were broken off. We, this, this doesn't look too good. And then my friend who's looking out the window says, look at this. And we look out the window and there was a plane of the same airline that we were in sitting on its belly to the left of the runway. Now we're starting to panic. I'm thinking, hey, this is a good time to actually check out the, uh, the emergency procedures. So I reached forward out of the pocket, pulled out the little pamphlet that's got the emergency procedures on it, but there were two. So I read the emergency procedures. That was, I read it, read it two or three times just to make sure I could remember where the exit door was, even though I was sitting right by it. And then I went to the second form. The second form was interesting. I haven't seen too many on aeroplanes. It was actually prayers. There were three prayers on this. There was a Catholic prayer. There was a Protestant prayer. And there was an Islamic prayer. And I thought, wow, that's pretty good. So I read the Protestant prayer because I read that a couple of times. And I thought, well, I'll check out the Catholic prayer as well, just to make sure that I do have the right ticket to heaven. And then I decided I'm just couldn't understand the Islamic prayer. It was written in another language. I just agreed with it just to make sure. 
We took off and as we flew out of there, the flight was pretty good, but we came to our destination. And I remember saying to my friend, boy, we seem to be traveling quite fast as we enter the runway. All of a sudden, bam, we hit that tarmac. The whole plane just shook and water from heaven, water from the air conditioner just came rushing down and smothered my friend next to me who instantly ripped off his belt, fell to the floor on his knees and I said, mate, are you in the crash position or the prayer position? He didn't give me the answer. I think it was both. But have you noticed that when we hit, hit times of uncertainty, when we hit times in our life where maybe we're a little bit anxious, where we're not sure of what's going to happen, maybe we've just found out that uh, the doctor has told us that we've got a, a sickness that he's not sure he can cure, or maybe we just lost a job. Maybe our finances in this season have dropped. Maybe our business has gone under. And those times of uncertainty is generally the time when God is the busiest because that's when everybody starts calling up on God and say, hey, God, can you help us out here? And if I don't know him, I'll get a friend to do it for me. It is interesting that when we get to the end of ourselves, we're looking for a being or something that could miraculously change our circumstance. You know, the, the scripture here that we read and as Christians we love is full of stories because you see, God is not surprised by times of uncertainty. In fact, the whole scripture is full of stories of men and women, of kings, of priests, um, of people groups, of nations that went through times of uncertainty, times of stress. And in here tells us the way through it. You see, God is not surprised by our uncertainty. In fact, did you know that right in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of, it says, chaos. He pulled everything together and gave it life. You know, that's the story, I think, for us today, is we need to know that when God intervenes in our dire times of chaos, he can turn it into life. But I believe that this is more than just a book, and it's more than just a manual in life. This is the inspired word of God, it says, that cuts deep, which means that if it's Holy Spirit um, in, in, inspired, then it has power and it comes alive. And if we read it, and ask God a question and ask him to speak to us. He will speak to us through his word. So let's do that right now before I open it up. Father God, I want to pray right now as we open this word, the word, words of God, that you would speak to us today. You will speak to us in our heart. You will change those things that are, we're facing at the moment. And I ask your, your, these in your powerful name. Amen. So let me take you to a letter in here. It's called Philippians. It was written by a guy called Paul. Now, Philippians, if you've got your app, open it up. Or if you've got your Bible, open to Philippians. It's in the back end of the book. Um, or if you've got your iPhone or your iPad, just turn to Philippians for me. And grab a pen because you might write down some notes as we go along. But Philippians was written by a gentleman called Paul. And if we understand the background, we under understand the significance of this letter. See, this was the first church in Europe. Uh, the church in Philippi, and it was very special to Paul. So as you read it, you'll hear his heart. you hear his heart and his love for the people. In, in fact, I encourage you to read through the four chapters of Philippians this afternoon in one head and just allow it to speak to you. There's some amazing verses in here. 
But this church in Philippi, it was only, Philippi is only about 20,000 people in the whole place. And most of those are probably about 20 or 30% of them would be slaves or um, they would have been servants, so fairly poor. But on the other side, it was a merchant place, so they had a bit of wealth. There were mostly Romans and Greek in a very small proportion, we believe, of Jewish believers. But there was a group of Christians that Paul actually converted in this place of Philippi and this little group, remember a church, is simply the gathering of believers to build each other up for works of service. So here they were gathered together, probably about 40 of them. And Paul writes them a letter, but it's where he writes the letter from that's important. He writes it from a prison in Rome. Paul is a man that understands uncertainty. Read Philippians, you'll hear it. You know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he says. You see, this is what happened. This is how he got to Rome. He started off speaking in Jerusalem, upset a few people. They decided that it was time to bring an end to this. So they, they um, imprisoned him, took him to court. Whilst he was in court, the, uh, the Roman governor at the time said, I can't try you because you're a Roman. I'm going to have to send you to Rome to see Nero. So he does, and he puts him on a ship, and he's out in the ship on the way to Rome, but a storm comes, and they end up being um, floating around in a storm or in, in the ocean for a couple of weeks, we believe. He ends up being washed ashore in a town called Malta, and it's at this place where he's around a fire, and a, a snake comes out and bites him, but miraculously he doesn't die. So people there go, well, this man's got something about him. Let's listen to what he has to say, and hence there were many became believers of Jesus at that place. Well, they were there for a little while, I think about three weeks, and they ended up on their way to, um, to Rome. He gets to Rome and he goes to, he's imprisoned in Rome for two, possibly three years. And it's at that place he wrote this letter to the Philippians and to the Corinthians and to others at that time. And so you can imagine when you read this, you're reading it from a man who's been in a, a life of uncertainty. He's now in prison. And also, not long after this, he was taken out of the streets and was beheaded. This is the man that wrote these words. So let's have a look at this in Philippians 4. And I want to take you to Philippians 4, a few verses down to um, verse 4. So Philippians 4, verse 4. And it reads this. Oops, I've lost it. Here we go. It says, Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. Imagine being in a, and some of you might be right now, you're in a difficult situation. You've, you've just lost a loved one. You're grieving and someone comes along and says, rejoice. You're probably likely to slap them and go, do you know what I've been through? Do you know what I'm experiencing? Well, see, Paul did, and he said, rejoice, but you've got to look at the whole sentence. 
he actually says rejoice in the Lord. Here's the question. What are you in? Sometimes we live in our uncertainty. Sometimes we live in that situation of doubt. Sometimes we live in our problems. Sometimes we live in our grief and we decide to stay there. And you know how you're living in it because that's all you dwell on. That's all you talk about. That's what determines your decision making. But Paul is saying here, no, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, step out of your uncertainty. Don't let that rule your life anymore, but step into the person of Jesus Christ. Hence Romans 8, 8, which we read last week. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and call, are called according to his name. Called, who step into. When you step into that relationship with God and live in that, that's the place he wants us to go. That's where you can start to rejoice. You know, this group of people amongst this uh, small little gathering called the church in Philippi, there were people there who understood exactly what Paul was talking about. You see, if you go to Acts uh, 26, I believe it is, no, Acts 16, sorry, you go to Acts 16, you'll see a, an event there that happened. Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi. And uh, they put them in the, the deepest part of the jail because the jailer, a Philippian jailer, was given the instruction not to let this guy go because if we do, we're going to have a riot. So they had him, Paul, jailed in the darkest, deepest part of the jail. That night, the jailer could hear Paul and Silas singing songs of worship. They were getting into it. They were rejoicing in the Lord in the middle of a jail. And then throughout the night as they're worshipping, all of a sudden there was, there was movement. There was like a, um, a crashing and, and the chains came off the gate that was holding the, the, the jail door and the chains that were holding them dropped to the floor. The Philippian um, jailer was so worried because he knew that he would lose his life. He would decided that he would kill himself. And he was about to kill himself when Paul shouted out from the prison, don't do that. We're still here. You see, that Philippian jailer became a believer that day and would have been part of this church. And he would have understood when Paul said rejoice. He knows what happens when you rejoice. He knows what goes on. And he also knows that when Paul was rejoicing, look at this, he was rejoicing and the gates opened up, but he didn't get out. Why? Because it wasn't the chains and it wasn't the gate and it wasn't the circumstance that was holding him in there. It was his desire to worship the Lord. He rejoiced. His rejoicing was greater than the prison. His rejoicing broke the prison walls. I want to tell you today that when Paul says rejoice, he knows the power of rejoicing in the Lord. It does break chains and it does open doors and it does change circumstances. But then go on. He says this, which I thought was interesting. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You see, uncertainty and, and issues in our lives, and I don't just speak from the scripture here, I speak from my own, my own circumstance, has a tendency to impact our character. 
The person that's struggling with worry and anxiety, they walk in your room, they look like worry and anxiety. You, you, if you're struggling with situations, you tend, you, there's a danger of becoming bitter and angry, not at the situation, but the people behind it. You see, character can be impacted by times of, of uncertainty, times of difficulty, times of fear, times of anxiety can impact our character and how we live out. So Paul is saying, let your gentleness. You know, a little while ago we were um, facing a difficult situation and a wise, good friend of mine, a pastor of another church, said something to me that has stuck with me and I'm going to use it with other people. And he said this, he said, Steve, my prayer is that God will keep your spirit sweet. That's interesting. And let me tell you, when you pray that prayer, God does. He does keep your spirit sweet. And it's important that we do. You know, the, the idea of the fruit of the Spirit, if you've read the scripture, you know what I mean. But basically, it means the outworkings of a relationship with God. The fruit of that relationship are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These things is what we have when we actually step out of the circumstance and step into the Lord and allow his character to become my character. And hence we can say our gentleness, um, our gentleness is a reflection that the Lord is actually near. Then he goes on a little bit further. He doesn't stop there. He then says, do not be anxious about anything. Wow, you're joking? Just stop? Just stop being anxious? No, no. He says, this is how you replace your anxiety. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In other words, to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. To be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Prayer is a significant thing. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be a Greek scholar, but I did do a little bit of searching around. And there are many words in the scripture that are used for prayer. The original words were different. The one he uses here is, is interesting because the word he uses for prayer in this situation is, in it, is very similar to the word we use for worship. And the three letters at the beginning of the word, P-R-O, actually mean to engage with or to connect with or to come face to face with. So prayer is more than just a shout out to God. Prayer is actually coming into his presence and having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. It means, again, engaging with him. Would we step out of our anxiety and step into a conversation with God? But see, Paul goes on and he talks then about your prayer and your requests. And, but he says something else, which is really important. He then goes on to say, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present doesn't give this the real um, value it requires. The word present actually there means to reveal, to reveal the whole situation. When we reveal to God our real needs, he looks behind the surface. You see, I might come to God and say, God, I need a job. But when I really am face to face with him, when I really reveal my heart, I discover really what I'm looking for is identity, 
a purpose. There's more to it than just a job. It's about knowing that I'm important, knowing that I have value. When I say that I, I need finances, it's actually more than just finances. It's actually to know that I can provide, to know that I can fulfill my duty as a husband. You see, the, the idea behind our need is something really bigger, and God wants to go for what's behind the request. He wants to go not just for the felt need, but for the real need, which is what's inside us. Paul, uh, sorry, David, King David in the um, Old Testament, he understood that. He wrote a psalm about it, Psalm 139. And he came to God and he said, God, I've got this problem, I've got that problem and kill this person and kill that person. And then he keeps going in his psalm and then he says, but you know, God, I know you created me, you formed me, you made me. And then he finishes off the psalm with this. Search my heart, O God, and see what wickedness is inside me. Now, that's, that's the challenge. When we step out of anxiety, when we step out of um, uncertainty and step into God, he wants to come and search our hearts. He wants to do the deeper things. Right now, God has got you in a situation. Don't run from it. Allow him to do the deep things of our heart. Present the whole situation to God that he might deal with those things behind the surface. But here's the promise. This is the promise that I love. You see, the, the truth is that, uh, and C.S. Lewis said this, he said, prayer is not about changing God. It's about changing me. And this is the promise. This is the promise of change. This is the promise that Paul says you will have. It says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus. When you come to that place, there's a peace that I can't explain. And you know, other people won't understand it. Other people might come to you and go, oh, you're just, you're just in denial. You're, you're just trying to pretend it's not there. But the truth is, no, there's something happened on the inside. There's a peace here because I've decided not to live in the uncertainty, but to live and to rejoice in the Lord. You know, right through Scripture, Isaiah 26, it says this, you will, keep, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. That's the promise. Peace is yours if we can put our thoughts on him, not our thoughts on the things that we're worried about. I mean, in Romans 8, it says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads, um, leads to life and peace. I want to encourage you today as we finish off this, uh, this words of encouragement to you. Is if you're facing a time of uncertainty, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your family, maybe your children. I want to encourage you, come and bring it to, to the Lord. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it in prayer. Sit down before him and step out of the circumstance and step into the Lord. And allow him, to, his character to become your character and his peace to become your peace. In finishing off, let me leave you with the words that Paul finishes this little, um, this chapter with. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one 
final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Let's just finish in prayer. Father God, we want to say thank you for the words of Paul. Would you help us to step out of that circumstances that we found ourselves in and step into you? That the peace of God will be the thing that actually drives us and is evidence in us that you are near. Amen. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.